Welcome to the Inside Edge, presented by First Merchants Bank. First Merchants Bank, helping you prosper. Put it in the upper right-hand corner, just like a postage stamp. That's a good bingo! Get ready to learn more about the Columbus Blue Jackets players and coaches, as well as find out what's going on this week in the NHL. Now let's join Bob McGilligan and Jody Shelley for the Inside Edge, presented by First Merchants Bank. Welcome to the Inside Edge. The Blue Jackets winding down their all-star break and bye week and getting set to return to action on Saturday night at Nationwide Arena against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Coming up on tonight's show, we're going to preview that game for you with Brian Engblom, who's the color analyst on TV for the Lightning, and also Scott Burnside is going to join us to talk about what's going on in the NHL. But right now, first thing is first. As I bring in Jody Shelley, the first thing I have to say to you is... Happy birthday, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. I know I love my birthday, so yeah. it's uh, It's been a heck of a day. I like the February 7th. Uh, is uh, It's been a good day. Lots of cake and food, and hey, the weather's been nice, too, so I'll take it. Yeah, that's that it was nice that you ordered good weather and got it on your birthday. <laughs> yeah. And it's during the break, so, you know, a little more relaxed. How was your break? Uh, it was good. I mean, you know, it's it's a different break when you have high school kids. My son's in the ninth grade, Owen, and my daughter's in the eighth grade, so Evelyn. And so it's a lot of traveling around uh, 270. Uh, actually going to Miami of Ohio for a couple games uh, on Sunday in between uh, Saturday's game and, what is it, Monday's travel. So be a lot going on. Uh, but it's just been, you know, probably like you, back and forth from everywhere. I did go do some NHL Network stuff. That was fun to get that in. But uh, ready to get back with this Blue Jackets team. Yeah, no question about that. We went up to northeastern Pennsylvania for a couple of days to see my son at college, and it, it was nice just to go somewhere, right? I mean, as you said, you got kids in high school, so you may not be going to the tropics like you did before. Right. I <laughs> but, mean, but it's good to do something. It is nice to, yeah. I mean, I was the only one in the family that got to do something, but uh, I do feel very guilty about that. But it was New Jersey to do work, so yeah, nice to nice to travel for a few days. Well, the break was also good for Boone Jenner, who played in the All Star festivities last weekend in Toronto. Played in that uh, three on three tournament. They cut. It's called the All Star Game, but it's a series of games, right? And he got drafted by Connor McDavid to be on his team. That's not too shabby. He got to play on the ice with Connor McDavid. He got two goals in two games. And to me, this for Boone Jenner, I'm so glad that he got the opportunity because players of his kind don't always get a chance to be a part of big events like this, and especially in a three-on-three tournament. I mean, if when you're drafting those kind of teams or when you're deciding who's going to the All-Star game, uh, a guy that plays with the grit and tenacity of Boone Jenner, uh, you normally don't think about in a three-on-three. Look, for the Blue Jackets, he goes out and he takes a face-off. If he wins the face-off, he goes to the bench and somebody else comes over the boards. But he had the 12 goals before he got hurt, so uh, he got selected to go and represent the Blue Jackets. I don't think that uh, you could have picked a better guy to go. And after 11 years, he got the opportunity to be there. It was close to his hometown, as close as you can get. And I was thrilled for him. Yeah, me too. I mean... First of all, he breaks his jaw, and and you look at the timeline. You think, can he go? So he he made it. He made it to to be able to go and take the bubble off. We don't have to talk about that anymore. And and yeah, I mean, what a thrill for a guy we get to watch every day. The heart and soul of the Blue Jackets. A guy that plays and, and practices and carries himself 
true to a blue jacket and what, what it means to be one. And, you know, kind of an unsung hero a lot of nights and the roles that he plays and, and the things that he does for the organization. So for him to be able to go and be an all-star. And you could see, I watched his uh, Instagram clips and saw him do some media stuff. And to see him score a goal and be on that team with Connor McDavid and, and be around different people and, and different superstars, it's not only good for Boone, it's great for the Columbus Blue Jackets because he represents us so well, like everyone does when they go to the All-Star game. But you don't think All-Star immediately when you think of Boone Jenner, but you do now because he's been there with the best. Uh, they got second, of course, Austin Matthews, uh, his team – stole the show in Toronto, but it, what an experience for Boone. Can't wait to catch up with him. Yeah, 11 years in the league, first time going to the All-Star festivities. Uh, a guy, as you said, he is a, a do-it-all kind of guy. You couldn't pick a better representative. And, um, you know, it's – look, I think last year if he wouldn't have gotten hurt, he had a really good chance, and I think he would have gotten to 30 goals again for the second time in his career. This year, same thing. If he doesn't miss all of those weeks, and if he would have kept on scoring at even close to the pace that he was when he got hurt, I think he's got a chance to get near that once again. So he seems like he's getting better with age. And again, I'd say with age, but he's not an old guy. No, he's not. And we've seen him grow up here, you know, right in front of us. You know, you're right. He had a, he had a great pop in his career there, what was that, five years ago, where he got all those goals, over 30 goals. and Or was it 30 exactly he got that year? I think it was 30 exactly that he got You know, and, and you think, oh, wow, this, you know, there's a lot there with Boone Jenner. Then he's got to hold down the number one center spot. And, you know, for this Blue Jackets team, it's been one of those positions that, you know, it's been hard to nail that down. But Boone's been consistent in his effort. He compliments other players well. Uh, he's a team that 30 he's a guy that 31 other teams would love to have and just to see how he's grown as a leader and as, as a person and now he's starting as a, a young family here in Columbus so add all-star to the resume and you know just a it's it's rounding out to be a wonderful career for Boone just needs to win a Stanley Cup here with the Columbus Blue Jackets in the next uh, next little bit yeah no question uh yes it was 30 exactly and that do you believe that was 2015-16? Yeah, that was a heck of a year. Jeez. I mean, that was the, that was a great year for for Boone, and, and the next year was the Blue Jackets with that winning streak uh, that was so impressive when they won 16 in a row. And I bring that up because the Oilers just got theirs broken last night trying to beat Pittsburgh 17. They tied them. Um, and I love what Rick Tockett said. He said, I don't, and people say they, they want their records to be broken. He says, I don't want our record to be broken. <laughs> you know, he wants to hold it down from that early 90s Penguins team that he was a part of. But, you know, he, he, I think back to that just because I heard the quotes coming out of the locker room in Edmonton the other day about uh, we're not even talking about it. You know, we're just kind of showing up and playing hockey, and, and they weren't sure how they were winning, but they were understanding that it was a great feeling. And I remember that with Torts and that 2016 team and the way the guys were just couldn't wait to get to the rink, couldn't wait to get at home and start the next game the next day or the uh, next few days. And that was a fun thing to be a part of. I remember walking into Washington. Unfortunately, it was the night <laughs> that it got broken or it got snapped. Oh, yes. But I remember walking in there, and I was – um, one of the last people off the bus, and I was walking behind Torts at the time, and we came into Washington, and, and you come in, and there's a lounge area, and then you take a turn down the hallway toward the dressing room. And as soon as he took the turn, he goes, Bobby, get up here. And I go, what? He goes, get up here. Get in front of me. And I'm like, For what? And I get in front of him, and I look, and there's like six cameras down the hallway, right? And I turned, I leaned over my shoulder, and I said, you got to be kidding me right now. Shut up and go. <laughs> you know, that was. You were uh, the screen. Yeah, but that was such a, uh, it was. It was such a fun time. And, you know, we're talking about Boone when he got 30. I remember the next year we came to camp, 
and I was <laughs> I was interviewing Boone. I think it was day one, and um, I was not ready to do an interview. I mean, I you're rusty coming out of the summer, right? And nobody's asking questions, so I start asking Boone questions. And I remember asking him, can you do it again? And I forget what his answer was. All I remember was when the interview was over, <laughs> he looked at me and goes, tough questions day one, Bobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I looked at him and I go, I'm rusty too, dude. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's what everybody wants to know. Yeah. You know, and that's the season of, a season of optimism there in, in camp when everyone's healthy and fresh and excited. And I thought that's a great question, Bob. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, my, my goodness. So it was great for Boone. Um, you know, the All-Stars, it's going to go away for a couple of years here. And I'm okay with that, quite honestly. Like, I, I'll be honest, I didn't watch the skills competition this year. Uh, that used to be must-watch TV for me. I was out of town. so And, of course, now you can find everything on Instagram or Twitter. It doesn't matter because you're, you're going to get all the good clips anyway. But um, they're going to do the Four Nations Tournament next year, Switzerland, Finland, uh, the U.S., and Canada, going to play in a round-robin tournament. And then the year after that, the NHL is going back to the Olympics. I was, I was a little bit surprised by the Olympic thing because it's taken so long, and I thought maybe it was finally dead in the water. But it really seems to me – like Marty Walsh taking over as the head of the Players Association. I mean, the, this is a guy, he was a former governor of Massachusetts. He was uh, head of the labor relations. Uh, he worked for uh, the U.S. government. He worked for the president, for crying out loud. This guy gets things done. And the players wanted to go back, and they have now found found a path to get back there. It's the key. I mean, the key is the players wanting to get back. The pause in the world in 2020 was something that hit a lot of these different things that were options and, and moved them way back off the table. But the NHL is, is a global game, and they try all uh, all efforts are to make it count. I mean, they went to Australia this year uh, for, was that, preseason hockey. And, you know, the Los Angeles Kings and the Arizona Coyotes went down there and played, and you know, you're down there with hockey fans who are everywhere. And the the Olympics is special. I mean, those are moments that it's not just the hardcore hockey fans or the fringe hockey fans. You're part of that that special event that happens every four years. And the play, some players miss their opportunity. There are some players that have played in the league now who are going to miss their opportunity to go there. Uh, you know, will, will the older players be available? Uh, they're already talking about the goaltending for the U.S. is so stacked with with uh, you got Ottinger, uh, who, who's incredible right now with the Dallas Stars. Um, yeah, you know, and he's a big one of the big big name goaltenders in the National Hockey League right now. So he's an American goaltender. And then you got Demko out in Vancouver, who's another A goalie. And I know I'm forgetting the third, but it's three excellent goaltenders to start from. And, and I love these conversations because, you know, who's going to make Team USA? Who's going to be left off Team USA? Team Canada. Switzerland for that Four Nations uh, tournament. That'll be interesting as well. So it elevates those countries that we see players scattered all around the National Hockey League in other areas of hockey. But it, it's, a, it, it, it's a great platform. And to go back to the, the All-Star game, too, which the NHL events, we had it here in 2015. It's a spectacle, and it's done so well. When the NHL lands on site like they did in Toronto, they, they the script was perfect, and they knocked it out of the park. So you got to love the momentum that they're creating from outdoor games, uh, global series, global games. Like last year, we were in Finland. We got to experience that. That was unique, and, and you get to see those fans and what it means to them. Uh, to get to the Olympics and, and relive stories from uh, past Olympics and, and see those players that won gold medals and, you know, 
see the players that won silver. <laughs> it's it's fun to hear the stories they never forget. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. You can change the events, and I think it's good to change the events sometimes. Oh quite yeah, frankly, because things. This is life. Things get stale, and you have to put a new spin on it. And if that means going away from the All Star Game and doing a Four Nations tournament, getting the Olympics in, coming back to an All Star Game at some point, that's fine. Because as you just said, what this league has proved is they know how to do big events, and they know how to do them differently. They know how to do them right, and I think that's one of the biggest strengths of the National Hockey League. And if you, if any of the fans out there can ever get a chance, and we know we've seen a bunch on the road for regular season games, we saw some fans in Finland. I know you saw fans in, in Sweden a few years ago when you went there. All-Star Games, the Blue Jackets fans traveled to Toronto this weekend too. If you ever get a chance to go to an NHL event, you should go because they make it so fan-friendly, interactive and uh, how they set up. I mean, we had the we had the luge going down uh, Nationwide Boulevard. So you know, it, it's 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 a big impact play, and it's a, a spectacle and a spectacular for hockey fans. Absolutely, it is, and uh, makes you wonder when there might be another big event here in Columbus. Oh yeah, outdoor maybe. game, huh? Maybe. Yeah. There's there's it's rumors. Happen. There are rumors. So we'll see. What we got to be on the list somewhere. Yep. Blue Jackets getting set to take on the Tampa Bay Lightning on Saturday night at Nationwide Arena. Coming up, we're going to talk with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Brian Ingblom, who is the TV analyst for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Of course, he's a former Blue Jacket as well. But right now, I want to tell you the 2024-25 ticket plans are on sale. You can choose the games and the seats that you want. You can also score bonus ticket rewards, food and merchandise discounts, and incredible ticket savings. Learn more by going to bluejackets.com slash ticket plans. You're listening to the Inside Edge presented by First Merchants Bank here on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge presented by First Merchants Bank. I'm Bob McElligot along with Jody Shelley. The Blue Jackets back in action coming out of the All-Star break and the bye week on Saturday night against the Tampa Bay Lightning at Nationwide Arena. We haven't seen the Lightning for quite a while, so we bring in Brian Engblom, the TV analyst for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. And uh, how was your break? The break has been great, Bob. Um, I I needed it. I'm sure the players did too, but I needed it. I know that. Uh, I've enjoyed it. We actually still have a couple of days um, as far as the broadcast crew goes, I know the teams in New York uh, the next two nights, starting with the Rangers tonight, but the both national games. So I'm still home. I'm coming into Columbus on Friday night for the game Saturday. So, yeah, this was the longest break I can remember during the season that I've ever had, and uh, I'll take it. I, I was just going to ask you, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And is, uh, uh, you know, as you get more experience and spend more time in the league, do you like having a longer break? Well, it's the first time. I'll let you know when I get back. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the players, right? I mean, you, you get rusty. You get rusty real quick. There's there's a rhythm to what we all do, right? And so, getting back on the horse, it'll be be interesting. I'm just doing some work here too, trying to get my mind wrapped around everything again and what's happening. So, uh, we'll see on Saturday. Well. <laughs> You know, at least you get to spend your extra days in Florida. We actually have had some sun here in Columbus the last couple of days, and the, the temperature's been pretty good for here, but I'm sure that we'll chase all of that out, and we'll have the clouds and the rain by the time you get here this weekend. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. That'll make you feel right at home here, won't it? You, you've spent a year working here. You know about that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, I mean, we, we've had it uh, 
this is our time too, where we finally get some rain and, and uh, cold. It's actually gone down into the high forties uh, the last two nights. Well, well, we would take that, Brian. Uh, we're not. We <laughs> yeah, don't feel I, too bad I know for you. Would. We know, but a lot I, of the I, players I probably headed headed down that way. I know. If, we have something in common, Brian. We both have uh, worked with Jeff Rimmer. I know he's down there somewhere, and, and I just wanted to bring up, it's his final year uh, broadcasting, as you know, and he's been around this, this sport for almost five decades, and this last stretch run is going to be uh, fast and furious for Rimmer, and uh, just want to, sh- if you could share a thought about uh, working with him. I mean, I've enjoyed it. He's such a pro, and, and I know you got to enjoy it here, and just to speak to him and, and what your time was like with Jeff. Uh, he's great. We all know him so well. And so the fact that you said five decades, Jody, he's just bristling right now, which means he must have started when he was six years old, right? <laughs> yeah, <So>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he is a consummate pro. Um, he's, he's so good with people, you know, and he has so many people that he knows around the league and so much of what we do and the information we get is from is from talking to people around the league, just like you, you guys are, you know, with me right now, and vice versa. We exchange information. We we talk about our teams and what's going on, and it's it's a big part of what we do. So you have to have relationships. And Jeff's always been terrific about that. He's a terrific broadcaster. Um, always really good about you know you know being selfless when it comes to you know the on air stuff. There's things that, you know, both guys want to say, right? Play-by-play guys want to, and we want to as analysts, and the game goes so fast sometimes. It's a very intricate uh, situation, uh, and people don't uh, understand exactly how it works. But uh, Jeff's always been great. He's been a great friend. Uh, I've known him since, I think, 1977 in Montreal. So uh, we've been friends for for a long time, and I bought him a lot of dinners and a lot of lunch, just like you guys have. <laughs> I was going to say that. That's something he's known for is not <laughs> jumping to get the wallet. I wanted to ask you on that note, how did you get into broadcasting? Uh, well, uh, after I retired as a player, I got hurt, um, and so I was done. So I was out of the NHL. I was out of hockey for about three years. And so I re- worked in the real world at a couple of different jobs. Um, I was working at Merrill Lynch as a financial consultant, and I heard that the, the uh, uh, Los Angeles Kings, I was still living in L.A., uh, they were going to split the radio and TV. They had simulcasts for years and years with Bob Miller and Nick Nixon, and they were going to split. And uh, so I thought, well, there's, there should be an opening there on radio maybe. I knew Jimmy Fox was going to do TV with Bob Miller, and Nick Nixon was going to go back to play-by-play uh, on radio. And uh, so I called, and I said, hey, I'm interested if you're, if you're looking for it, because I wanted to get back into the game. I, I really missed it. It's what, I, it's what I've known my entire life. And uh, I, I really you know, had a hunger to get back into the game after being out of it completely for those three years or so. Uh, and so they said, okay, actually, the first games I did were actually in the playoffs a year. What was that, 1990-91? And then, you know, they went, uh, I think it was only the first round. But at any rate, uh, you know, I, I got a deal with them uh, um, to do radio uh, for uh, the next four years. And then uh, year three and year four of, of that, the start of year three, I got a call out of the blue. This is 1993, 
Um, and it was the first year of the SPN two, first year they went on the air. And one of the first things they bought into was NASCAR and the national hockey league. And so I get this call out of the blue saying, Hey, uh, of how would you like to, you know, audition for some games to do, uh, uh, on TV? And I'm looking at my phone going, uh, sure. <laughs> so, you know, they flew me, flew me all the way out to Bristol, Connecticut from LA. I sat down with the late Tom Mees and we just, you know, watched a bit of a game and there were a couple of bosses literally, you know, leaning on their elbows, watching us and listening to us doing this game. This was in, I think August, late August to start that 93, 94 season. And, uh, I remember flying home going, yeah, that didn't go so well. I don't think I'm doing TV anytime soon. That's, that's for sure. Um, I, I didn't get a good feeling from it at all. And then they called me, I think a week later and said, how'd you like to do some games? So again, I'm staring at the phone going, sure. (laughs) So I, I think I did six or seven games on television. While I was still doing radio for the Kings, I did that for two years. And then uh, uh, ESPN signed me to a full-time television deal. So the the LA Kings were really good about letting, because I actually missed a couple of games on radio uh, because I had to travel and, you know, do some uh, television stuff for ESPN. And then it just kind of took off from there and you stumble from one year to the next after that. We're talking with Brian Engblom, TV analyst for the Tampa Bay Lightning it's funny, you were talking about L.A. splitting their simulcast, and now they're back to a simulcast after yeah, what, no. 30 years, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So you did that work for ESPN. Uh, you came in here, you worked for the Blue Jackets, you went back to national television, but now you've been with the Lightning for uh, quite a number of years. How how did much do you enjoy being part of a team? Because when you talk about missing the game, I think that's what most players talk about. They they like being around the game, but you like to feel part of a team, don't you? Absolutely. That had a ton to do with it, for sure. Um, I, I enjoyed my time. I had great opportunities, you know, both at um, ESPN, you know, from the very beginning through NBC and, you know, versus and everything, that whole process. Uh, like I said, I literally just sort of, fell from one thing to the next, you know, as well as I do guys, you know, you got to have a contract right in this business and go like, okay, when you're coming to the end, what's next, what's next. I want to keep doing this. But uh, along the way, what also was involved is, um, yeah, the, the connection, the thing about doing national TV for, I don't know what it is over 20 years. I always miss that connection of being with a team. We're all players at heart and you never win. You never lose. Uh, when you're doing national stuff and you have some advantages and you have some disadvantages, but ultimately bottom line, when this uh, situation opened up here in Tampa, uh, I jumped at it because, you know, at that point in, in, in my career, uh, that's what I missed and what I wanted. And, you know, I, I know the Tampa area a little bit. I think we all do from you know, over the years, just working. Uh, all the way around, terrific organization, great place to live, et cetera, et cetera, great team. Um, I, you know, as soon as I heard uh, that they were going to make a change because, you know, uh, Bobby Taylor was was pulling back a little bit. And so, uh, you know, he still does some some studio and some radio and, and uh, stuff here in uh, in Tampa. But it's been eight years now that I, this is my eighth year, 
uh, goes by very quickly and uh, it's been terrific and having that connection to the team is, is really what it's all about especially when I've been in fortune as I have been my timing was really good really good teams two cups you know yeah. you get to go right to the end and see and feel all of that stuff it's uh, it's terrific stuff well tell us about this Tampa team right now uh, as you said they're in New York so they're there's some uh, action that they're going to go through before they get here to Columbus on Saturday. But this is a team, it's not the Stanley Cup team anymore, but it's a team right now coming into action today is in third place in the Atlantic Division. That's a playoff spot. But nothing is guaranteed so much for this Tampa team as it has been for the last couple of years. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the evolution has, you know, been painful. Right. Um, it, it is the ask the Chicago Blackhawks, the LA Kings, you know, the teams that have won a couple of times in a fairly short, you know, period of time, just in the last, you know, decade or so. Um, and yeah, the evolution salary cap, they've lost some really, really key players. And because of that, it's difficult to keep replacing them. And, and it's shown. Um, so, that's just what happens, right? You know, the, the organization does the best they can uh, to keep replacing guys, and the core players are still here. The core players have earned their money. The guys that, that left have earned their money, and that was you know, some of the biggest things. Um, I would say like Ryan McDonough is one of the biggest losses. Uh, that wasn't so much. Uh, you know, he, he was already, I think, on contract. It's just that they had to make really tough decisions. He's been a big loss on defense for sure. But, you know, even, even the Coleman's and the Yanni Gorgs and guys like that, that were instrumental, you know, third line guys, whatever, just were so clutch uh, in, you know, in playoffs and made such a huge difference. They earned their, you know, in new paychecks and impossible as we all know uh, to keep those guys. So you keep the process going and uh, it's been difficult this year. They have, they had they changed some of the things and how they are playing defensively. We all know it's like a copycat league in many ways, right? So some of the things that Vegas was doing in their own zone, the Lightning have tried to adapt, um, and it was downright painful. Um, the, the first month and a half defensively, oh my goodness! I mean, Leaky uh, defensively would be kind to them in some games for sure. Uh, unlike them, they've always been, you know, go through stretches where they'd be a little loose and Vasilevsky make up the difference. Well, Vasi missed the first 20 games of the year because of the procedure on his back. And so he has to come back after 20 games and get, you know, into the rhythm of things and get going. And, um, you know, I think he's back now, but, you know, he's just had a break as well. So he'll be like the rest of the players trying to get some rhythm back into his game. He was playing really well. Um, at the end, when everything finished, he won his last three games in what six of his last seven. The Lightning were on a, were on a pretty good heater at the end here. They they won. They were uh, what eight and one in their last nine games, right? And Vasilevsky was seven and one. So he's since Vasilevsky came back, he's played twenty six of a possible thirty games, uh, and that you knew was going to happen. Now the other guys like Jonas Johansson. He did a, a fine job, you know, new to the organization this year. Uh, the goaltending wasn't the reason that they were losing, you know, too many games early on. They made the changes in their own zone, and it was painful. Like, they made a lot of mistakes. The coverages, the confusion, the, just whatever. 
um, <laughs> they had trouble explaining it, but it was far from smooth for, I'd say a month and a half. Then it started to get better and then still you're losing some games, but they really started getting the hang of it. And Vassy started coming around. So things started to click here right at the end, right before. And those last eight or nine games really started to, to show it. So what are they going to be like, you know, coming out of the break here? Everybody will be a little rusty, but they are well aware that they have to hit the ground running and they have to win a lot of hockey games in order to, you know, just get in the playoffs and then see what happens from there. Do you feel like that um, culture, I mean, it seems like from afar it's taken a little bit of a turn, but do you feel like that culture is still there? I mean, you got you got Point, Kucherov, of course, Stamkos and Hedman there. Um, do they demand that excellence from that from the team and the, the, the new guys and Sorelli too that are, that are part of this? Yeah, you bet, Jody. Yeah, it's it's definitely there. Everybody wants to win. Everybody, every team wants to win. Every individual player that's never won a cup uh, wants to win. I've been saying this since the seventies because I got a chance to feel it. But when you win, you want it even more. It's not that you want it less. It's not you know like oh well, I want one. I don't really care anymore. You get that taste in your mouth, and it never goes away. So that drive. And also the understanding of what it took to win. That you can talk till you're blue in the face. But when you've actually won and you're in that culture, it's a very different thing. It's an osmosis thing for new players coming in. You just get a feel in the locker room. So you, you know, you've been around, you've been in those rooms, you've been around guys that have won. You can see literally, you, you get a feeling from them, right? And you get a feeling from a team about, what it's like in clutch situations. How do you handle yourself? What's the environment like? What you do when you lose, that's the big key. Uh, what you do when you win is important, but how do you handle it when you're losing the series? You know, every game is so important. You can be up three games to one. You lose that one game and you're like, okay, well, you know, you're sort of afraid all the time. How do you handle that balance? And And once you've been through it, now you have that, experience in your back pocket and you know how to respond individually and and uh as a team help the team get through it what's really really important in situations you have to manage the game i i think one of the great lines i've heard this year was from marty st louis it reminded me of stuff we used to say um i i asked him a question about what do you say to your players like I think he's doing a real nice job on a young team, you know, about giving them confidence. He said, I tell them, play the game in front of you. You can't always play your game. In other words, we sure we want to play our game, you know, for each team, whatever that is, you know, we, how many times have we heard that over the years? I mean, I roll my eyes after a while, right? You guys probably do. We just got to play our game. You hear that a thousand times a year. It's impossible to do that every game for 82. Impossible. And that's ignorance if you don't play the game in front of you. And that's when Marty said that a couple of months ago, it just smacked me up the side of the head. We used to say that in Montreal in our cup teams that won four in a row. I was there for, for two plus. And that was what happens. You know when you're lousy, when your horse bleeps some nights as a team, you can't make two passes in a row. You're off. Well, find a way to win. That's what Marty is saying. Play the game in front of you. And if you start keep bitching about the same things all the time, 
you're really missing the boat. Like if you have to grind and dump the puck out, like this annoys me about every team in the league and about the lingo. I think players are really confused and some teams are really confused because they don't play the game in front of them because everything is about the puck, the puck, the puck, puck management, puck management. That's another one. Like I want to gag. I get the game. I do. I want to gag when I hear that. Sometimes off the glass and out to that is puck management because you're running around in your own zone so badly. You have no idea what you're doing for those couple of shifts. Control the situation. The, the, the good teams still do that often enough, but I see 90, 95% of the teams are so intent, so brainwashed by puck management and what the systems are that I swear I've said this to a couple of hockey execs just over the last couple of weeks that uh, hockey sense is down 50% from in, in my, my, my observation. Hockey sense is down. It's system, system. Players are being beaten over the head, especially for defensemen. Because, you know, I look at that a lot. And when you get in your own zone, who you're looking at most of the time is your defenseman. What are you doing? How are you getting the puck and whatever. They're going through the checklist in their head. I've seen guys on the lightning because I see them every day. I watch games around the league and go, that guy is confused about what's really important and reads of what's coming at them and everything. Holy mackerel. Those so they're so worried about the system. The hockey sense I think is down 50%. And I blame coaches for that. Well, that is, uh, <clears throat> sounds like it could be a coach. I love it. Yeah. Got me fired up. I mean, those are great <laughs> points, Brian. I mean, it's, it's, it's accurate uh, to the point of, yeah, you, sometimes, you know, you got to step back and look as a player and get in those shoes. And, and it's great that Marty said that to you and that snapped you back there because, um, you know, sometimes you, you do see things kind of just drift along the same cycle and hear the same thing. And when broadcasters get into that mode, but that's a, that's a, yeah. a great way to put it. Well, look, I mean, even on, on the lightning side, since January, um, well, actually, there's one exception. Walteri Merrill made the team out of camp. He's a, a kid from Finland, really good camp, played 19 games, played out of camp, and then, you know, he wasn't playing much. They had to send him down. But the lightning have, have had nine players come up and down from Syracuse this year, nine. That's a lot. So that's not just injuries for sure. They found a way. Sometimes it is, but they sent guys down like Phil Myers, you know, has been in the league on and off for a few years. Uh, he's been up and down a little bit um, because he, you know, he cleared waivers. So anyway, they've had some opportunities along with injuries to bring nine guys up, mostly except for Maryland since January, just from January on. So they're going through, uh, you know, where are we at? What do we have sort of thing? And the players, Stamkos came out uh, during this, you know, really good stretch and said, you know what? These young guys coming up has provided us with nervous energy. And I love the word that he used too, was nervous. Nervous energy. And has really sort of sparked us. So in other words, it, you know, it's like snapped them out of it here. And we had guys like uh, Lilleberg who've, who've come out. Emil Lilleberg. Uh, I know it's, it's a hyphenated last name, but don't worry about it for Saturday, guys. We just go with Lilleberg. Otherwise, it <laughs> sounds like too many men on the ice, doesn't it? But, yeah. <laughs> so, Lille, I, I love this kid. He is old-fashioned. He's every one-on-one like he was taught 
from 10 years old on, takes his man out in front of the net. When the puck's in the corner, in his, in his partner's corner, he's in front of the net. He's got the stick tied up of the guy in front of the net. No, I swear, almost nobody does that anymore. Coverage in front of the nets, I want to barf. It's so bad around the NHL. It is so bad. And again, that goes back to systems and positioning and whatever. Some of the basics, the two kids, Crozier and Lilleberg, that have been called up have been the best of any of the lightning defensemen in front of the net in their own zone because they take their man, they identify, and they have them tied up before the puck gets there. There have been fewer loose plays in their own zone when those guys are there. Sure, they make mistakes, but they play for some poise. And this kid plays hard. He has thrown some checks, like, and guys get up and go, who the hell is that? Who just hit me? You know, because nobody knows him. Crozier has come up. He's a, exactly the opposite. Real smooth, good skater. They play them together on the third pairing. Uh, so Lilleberg's still here. I don't know if Crozier's coming back up or not. Uh, I haven't seen him yet, so he might still be in Syracuse. But they played them together. But they like Lilleberg enough that he is – he has stayed here, and I expect he'll be playing tonight and tomorrow and, and Saturday as well, too. We'll see. But now we're also getting to that stretch of time here leading up to the uh, trade deadlines coming, right? So I'm as interested as anybody in the league is what's, what uh, Julian Brisebois is going to do this year. What does he really think about his team and what changes you know, might, might they make? I really don't know but they've used nine guys from Syracuse and they are taking an overall assessment. There's no doubt about that. Well, Brian, thank you very much. That is a very in-depth scouting report. That's going to make Jody and my job very easy for Saturday. So thank you. It's always always great to talk to you and uh, appreciate the time. All right, guys. Thanks very much for having me. All right. See ya. That is Brian Engblom. He is the TV analyst for the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll be back with more of the Inside Edge presented by First Merchants Bank here on 97.1 The Fan. Well, the Blue Jackets are back at Nationwide Arena on Saturday night. They'll take on the Tampa Bay Lightning at 7 o'clock. You can get your tickets by going to bluejackets.com right now. I'm Bob McElligot, Jody Shelley. Welcome back to the Inside Edge, which is being presented by First Merchants Bank. We're joined by right now by Scott Burnside from Burnside on Hockey. You can find him on X at Overtime Scott B. And uh, let's get some uh, league notes here. Scotty, first of all, great to talk to you again, man. I know. Look at you know. You don't write. You don't call. Listen, my feelings aren't. I you know. So I'm 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 just glad to be with you guys again. It's been a long time, so I appreciate it. When I texted last night, I was expecting to get the new phone. Who dis? <laughs> no, I keep the same phone. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter uh, uh, who my employers are. It doesn't matter whether the uh, Thrashers leave town or not. I still keep the same old phone number here in Atlanta. Well, that is good. Hey. Uh, Jody and I were talking earlier in the show about the All-Star Weekend and what uh, great festivities went on in Toronto and how that's going to go away for a little while because of some different events that the National Hockey League is going to put on, the the Four Nations Tournament, uh, going back to the Olympics. How happy are you as a guy that just loves this game that, uh, first of all, the NHL is going back to the Olympics and, and that they're coming up with some new ideas here? Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I was just got done. Uh, I haven't posted it yet, but I've been working on, you know, sort of my real shadow rosters for the uh, Four Nations face-off uh, a year from now, which will take the place of All-Star with Finland, Sweden, Canada, and the U.S. playing in a um, in a Four Nations best-on-best tournament. 
Uh, and I was a bit skeptical at the beginning when they were talking about this. And um, But I must admit, when I see the format and coupled with the announcement on All-Star Weekend in Toronto that the NHL will be going back to the Olympics in 2026 and again confirmed to go in 2030, um, first time true best-on-best best hockey since 2014 in Sochi, a tournament I happen to cover, um, it, it is, it's wildly exciting. And, and we can go down the rabbit hole on, you know, why it's taken so long. And, and listen, I, the NHL's view on international hockey and certainly the owner's uh, view of the Olympics has, has not been wholeheartedly in favor of it over the years. But I really think it's important. And I, I think you, you really understand how important it's going to be when you hear guys like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and this whole generation of the NHL's new, um, uh, you know, leaders, the face of the NHL right now, they've never had this opportunity. And I I just know that it really is critically important to them. It's important for, you know, whether you're Sebastian Ajo from Finland or, um, you know, whoever you are, to put on your country's jersey and to play the very best in this game. Uh, some of my favorite moments have been Olympic tournament coverage. I'm lucky I've covered three of them. You know, I was sitting in the middle of the stands in Vancouver when Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal in 2010. And it, there, there really isn't anything like it. So it is, I think, a terrific step forward for the NHL and the NHLPA. And it does sound like they've ironed out a lot of the problems that had persisted in the past, which is insurance and travel and even getting, you know, access to images, which the IOC has been really quickly about over the years. It does sound like there's some thawing on that front. So really, I think a, a brand new, um, you know, a new slate really for the NHL and international hockey and best on best hockey. And I, I can't help but think it won't grow the game exponentially moving forward. It's amazing, right, Scott, the details that go into this. You talk about insurance, even imaging. I mean, things we don't think about. But now that you, you're talking about your ghost lineup, I mean, I, that's it's one of my favorite parts is seeing, you know, what are we, a year out uh, from the world, uh, the, the Four Nations tournament. And, yeah, that's what we're starting to do. Who's got the best team? And, um, and, and the memories from those events, when you talk to the athletes, um, you know, last night I was with Mark Parrish on the NHL network and he was reliving winning silver and it was the, he was explaining how terrible it was. He's like bronze gets to cheer cause they just won bronze gold gets to cheer cause they just won gold. And we stand there with nothing. And, you know, he was reliving line mates, teammates, moments. And uh, it really brought me back to think, yeah, this this is what we've been missing. But I think about the break that's been had, the fresh uh, superstars that are now in the league. And you're right. This is going to be completely fresh and new uh, for all these kids that, that watched it the last time the NHL was at the Olympics. Yeah. Well, and I think what makes the Four Nations face-off even more important now, and, and again, I, I was pretty skeptical of it because – we hadn't had confirmation that the Olympics were a go. And it just, I don't know, anyway, maybe it's just me. But to me, now that you know that the uh, NHL will be in Milan in 2026, next year for those four nations that will compete in the, in the, the, the mini tournament, if you will, that's a real litmus test for, uh, for not proving not just which players deserve to be on that Olympic team, but which teams are really at the forefront. And, I, and with all due respect, I, don't, I can't imagine any scenario where Russia plays in, 
in 2026, given the invasion of Ukraine. Maybe it changes between now and then. But let's take the Russians out of the mix. Those four nations that are going to play next year, Finland, Sweden, Canada, and the U.S., they're the best hockey nations in the world right now. And I got to tell you, I was going through that U.S. shadow roster. The tables have turned, and, and maybe it's only slightly, maybe it's only degrees, but I don't see any way that people don't look at those rosters and, and have the Americans um, at least as slight favorites and maybe heavy favorites, given the way that roster is going to look from top to bottom, side to side. They, I got to tell you, I, I'm glad I'm not part of USA Hockey's management team because there are going to be six or eight or ten elite players who will not be on the ice, assuming good health, of course, on the, they won't be on the ice next February because there's not room. That's how many good, uh, that's how elite U.S. hockey is right now. And, and, and when I look at that roster that they can put on the ice, um, boy, it, it, I think the tables will have turned in terms of the pecking order internationally, at least on paper, when, when we start that tournament next year. We're talking with Scott Burnside from Burnside on Hockey. Scott, it was, uh, when did this come out? Yesterday, I think, that Gary Bettman said that there will be some kind of statement about the Arizona Coyotes in the next couple of weeks. Some people are speculating it could come as early as uh, this weekend, maybe. But this situation, look, the Coyotes have been, we've had similar discussions about the Arizona Coyotes for two decades. Uh, They're still there. Are they going to stay there? Or are they going to leave? Um, you know, I saw some speculation where, um, you know, they could maybe maybe somebody else buys them and keeps them in Arizona. Maybe they find finally a site where they can put up a building. Or then, of course, the other option would be that they're not there anymore and they move somewhere else. You've been watching this for those two decades, Scott. What do you see happening here? Yeah, I wish I had a crystal ball. I wish I had a dollar for every time I have said, yep, the coyotes are moving or what, you know, it, it, it really has been, you know, quite the saga. And I'm, you know, I covered a playoff series, Detroit at Arizona back in, uh, I think 97, even 97 or 98 was one of the tough run years for the Red Wings in that old arena downtown in, in uh, Phoenix. You couldn't see the pocket one end of the ice. And it's, it's crazy that it happened that way course here we are you know 25 years later they're playing in a college arena with you know with 4,000 people or whatever it is and 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 I thought Marty Walsh the head of the NHLPA was very blunt in his criticism of the uh, coyote situation and how um, basically how they haven't lived up to their end of the bargain in terms of you know how the players are treated and and it's not an NHL facility so it's 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 it, it is it is what it is and it can't go on forever. And Gary Bettman has, has acknowledged that. I, I just, I don't see how, uh, you know, this, this is an organization that is still scrambling to find a plot of land on which to build this long awaited new arena, the home forever and ever um, for this franchise. Uh, certainly since they, it was, you know, and, and listen, long before they left Glendale, you knew that that was not a long-term uh, solution wrong part of the Valley, you know, terrible relationship with the municipality there, all those things. I don't see how it gets done in a time that allows this league to say, yes, we can hang on for another, because what's the timeline? Five, six, seven years to, you know, from putting a shovel in a, in the ground, once you actually identify it, 
a plot of land to when you can actually host NHL games. Um, I, I do think, you know, the, the recent announcement, the formal announcement that uh, Salt Lake City um, uh, would love to have an expansion team, would love to have an NHL team. Um, they basically have an NHL ready-made uh, facility that a team could move into. Um, I think the expansion, you know, expansion is, it, it is attractive to the owners because of the expansion fees, obviously. Um, I don't know that it's wise to be run, rushing beyond the 32 teams that now exist, especially when you have a situation in Arizona that you do. So, you know, I, I, I'm leaning towards finally, you know, Gary Bettman saying, listen, we've, we're at a runway here and there are no options that make sense for this to be viable, you know, in a time frame that makes sense for the league and the players and, um, and, and that uh, Salt Lake City does appear to be a logical, ready-made place to move that team. So if I had to lean one way, of course, I've been leaning all kinds of ways on this whole Arizona Coyotes situation for, for a long, long time. Uh, so, But I, I think right now we do appear to be finally reaching the, the, the end, you know, that proverbial land, uh, line in the sand where the league's going to have to say, no, you know, this is it. We can't, we've done all we can here. I think you could argue done more than maybe what you should have done in terms of the timing. Um, but it is time to move on. I, I just don't, I can't see that the timing would allow for a resolution, to keep that team in Arizona. But I will admit I've been wrong on the Coyotes many times before. And this may be yet another one. Well, look, obviously the league feels it's an important market. They like the TV market there and all of that stuff. However, do you think that there is the possibility that the expansion team winds up being in Arizona, meaning that the Coyotes could actually move to Salt Lake City, as you're talking about, and then when the next round of expansion comes, maybe by then somebody can have something figured out in Arizona, uh, especially knowing that the league would very much like to be back there? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think all, all these things are possible, and, and I must admit, I'm, you know, maybe I'm, I'm the guy shaking his fist at the cloud. Uh, I assume the next round of expansion tops $1 billion. Right now, it's money that is not shared with the players uh, under the current collective bargaining agreement. I, I, my guess is the players would push for, for a taste of that when the, when the new CBA discussions open in, uh, I think it's a year, a year and a half. Um, so maybe there's, you know, maybe there's incentive to start the expansion process while you don't have to give any of it to the players. And certainly a billion dollars that is divided among the, the owners. That's an attractive thing. I just wonder what is, what's the right number? Like 32 is a great number, right? It's evenly divided. There's, I think the, the level of competition is still very high. Um, obviously you've seen tremendous success in Vegas. Um, Seattle, I, you know, has been a resounding success. You know, I, I just wonder how, you know, how many teams is too many. It's a great point you make because if you go, if you leave Arizona, it doesn't mean you can't go back there. If someone comes up with a, a viable arena plan and a billion dollars that they want to spend on an expansion fee. And then, you know, then, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, a counterpart in the East. You know, we already know Atlanta's building, um, you know, a new facility north of the city. Uh, that will have an NHL-ready facility as, as part of the complex. It's like one of those sort of LA Live or, you know, the complexes in Philadelphia type of multi-use, um, uh, you know, you know um, production that they're going to be building. 
you know, is Atlanta in that mix? I know Gary Bettman mentioned a number of other communities that have yeah, expressed. I, I want to I want to so, ask you I want to ask you specifically about Atlanta though because you live in Atlanta, and and I know people just snap when Atlanta is brought up because they say they've already failed twice. Why would they get a third opportunity? But as you said, this building is not going to be in downtown Atlanta. And it's going to be outside the city, and it's going to be its own entertainment venue. And the Atlanta Braves already have proven that this can work because that's what they did with their team, and they have had great success. Is is that why Atlanta is back in this conversation? Yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, 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 I'm not sure I see it here. I, I, and listen, this city is completely different. Um, then when the, the thrashers left in, in the summer of 2011, um, you know, ownership was, listen, this was terrible ownership here. And they, they, they did not care about the hockey team at all. They didn't invest in the team. They didn't do the infrastructure. They didn't do the grassroots hockey, um, which is so important. And, you know, you've seen it in Columbus, you see it in Vegas, you see, you know, where it, it's just a no brainer and it didn't get done here. When this team left, it barely caused a ripple and it, the community is different now. And I think the act, you know, the, the, the game is much more inclusive and to have a facility like they're talking about in a different part of the greater Atlanta community, you know, at, at the end of the day, though, it comes down to straight up dollars. If you have an owner who's going to write a billion dollar group of owners who will write a billion dollar check, and can you know, get this complex built um, and, and ready for an NHL team to move into it, um, that's a pretty darn big mouthful. And would this community support a team in the Alpharetta area in a way that they didn't support the team downtown? Um, I, I, think, I think there is every chance it could happen, um, but there are no guarantees. And I know it was frustrating for Bill Daly and Gary Bettman at the time when the thrashers, they didn't want, this is a huge media market, right? Number four or five in the, in the, NA, or in the, the United States. It's a huge market, tons of money in the city. Um, but they couldn't find anyone who would come in and partner with owners to basically peel off the hockey team and try and make a goal of it uh, at what was Phillips Arena at the time. Um, so, and it was frustrating. Uh, so my guess is that if hockey comes back to Atlanta and uh, the NHL hockey comes back here. It will be after Gary Bettman uh, is done as commissioner. And who knows when that might be past his 31st year. I, I just, I think it was a very difficult time for league um, leaders at the time, because it was a community that seems not to care very much about what was happening with that hockey team. And, you know, again, time has passed. Maybe it would be a lot better here. Um, and again, you got to find people who can write, those kinds of big time checks and, and, and we'll see if, if, if those people are in place here. Well, Scotty, it's always great to catch up with you. It's been too long, my friend. Thank you for making time for us today. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. Anytime. You know, my number never changes. You can call anytime. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Be careful. I'm going to do it. <laughs> that is Scott Burnside from Burnside on hockey. You can find him on X at overtime. Scott B. Well, again, the Blue Jackets are back in action on Saturday night, 7 o'clock at Nationwide Arena. They'll take on the Tampa Bay Lightning, and then it's off to Ottawa and then to the West Coast, uh, the California trip. So this is your one chance 
to see the Blue Jackets. It's been a long time since there's been a home game, and you've got this one chance, and then you've got to wait again. So make sure you get to Nationwide Arena on Saturday night. We'd like to thank our guests, Brian Engblom from the Tampa Bay Lightning and Scott Burnside for being on the show tonight. That's going to do it for this edition of the Inside Edge presented by First Merchants Bank. For Jody Shelley, I'm Bob McElligot. Thanks for listening to 97.1 The Fan.